a lot of the time we hold ourselves to extremely high standards and we're not going to put it out there until it's just perfect, until it's just right. And that may never come. That will cause us to continue to put something off. Today's episode is brought to you by the Artist Incubator. And currently, I have room for just two more artists inside the Artist Incubator program. If you want to learn how to make fifty dollars to $100,000 a year selling your art, but you're struggling with the strategy or the mindset, then you can book a free call with me so that we can map out the next best steps for you. And if we both agree that you'd benefit from my help, then you'll learn more about the program. To get started, go to shulmanart.com forward slash biz. That's B-I-Z. It's the Inspiration Place podcast with artist Miriam Shulman. Welcome to the Inspiration Place podcast, an art world inside a podcast for artists by an artist, where each week we go behind the scenes to uncover the perspiration and inspiration behind the art. And now, your host, Miriam Shulman. Well, hello, this is your host, artist Miriam Shulman, and you're listening to episode number 96 of the Inspiration Place podcast. I am so honored that you're here. Today, we're talking all about people-pleasing, perfectionism, and procrastination. In this episode, you'll discover how people-pleasing is killing your dreams, why perfectionism is really just a fancy name for fear, and why the way you think about time leads to procrastination. But before we get there, I wanted you to know, if you're ready to make a steady, consistent income that you can be proud of by selling the art that you're already proud of, but you're feeling like you're spinning your wheels, confused about what to do next and what you actually need to make it all work, then I can help with that. If you're interested in applying for one of the openings inside the Artist Incubator, you can apply by going to shulmanart.com forward slash biz. That's B-I-Z. And now back to the show. Today's guest specializes in working with women who have ADHD tendencies. As a life coach, she educates to increase awareness and uncovers mental obstacles that may be causing overwhelm and stress. Certified through the Life Coach School, she uses a tool called the Model to help clients feel better by learning how to manage their minds. She's driven by the desire to help neurodivergent minds access their brilliance. Please welcome to the Inspiration Place, Sean Roney. Hey there, Sean. Welcome to the show. Hey there. Thank you so much for having me. Many people don't know that I have recently added you as one of the main coaches for the Artist Incubator Program. It's something I was looking to do for a long time and had been looking for a long time for the right person to fill that role. And I'm so thrilled that you are part of this team. Do you, maybe you should share, so it's not just me talking, maybe you should share a little bit about what you're doing right now inside the incubator. I consider myself an artist as well, right? As creatives, a piece that can be really helpful is to look at our thoughts about our artwork, our business, and manage our minds around all of it. And so what I've been doing with the members is really like having them show up each week, bringing what they're working on, and then kind of teasing out what is really slowing them down. 
like, look, we always think it's the specifics. We're just not doing the technology right, or we just need to figure this one thing out. And it never comes down to that. It always comes back to the way we're thinking about things. Yeah, I love your approach to it. I just want to explain a little bit of the genesis of how I came to look for you and then arrived at hiring you because I think it's super interesting. Inside the incubator program, I coach the artists on strategy on how to sell their art. And of course, building their confidence is baked in throughout the program. But I really saw that they needed more than what I could offer with just me. And that's why instead of me pretending to also be a life coach, I thought it was super important to add somebody who could help them manage their minds. So what Sean does is we meet separately. I meet with my artists three times a month. Sean also meets with them three to four times a month. And her role is specifically to help them manage their minds. And it also makes my job much easier when I go to coach them on the strategy because you've kind of educated them on a language to use, which makes my job easier when I notice them falling into some of these very common thought patterns. Yes. Before we dive into that, I wanted you to just describe what you mean by neurodivergent. So the term neurodiversity is really used to capture all of the various types of brains that are out there, right? The way that various brains process information and the natural differences. So you're probably familiar with the term like HSP, creatives, the analytical type, the empaths, the type A. Those are personality types we're talking about, right? So then there are terms like ADHD, autistic, bipolar, dyslexic, dysgraphic, those are more diagnoses. And so when we're talking about neurodivergent tendencies, we're talking about a cluster of behaviors that you may see or a tendency toward a behavior that indicates a brain is more neurodivergent than the typical brain, right? Society has kind of defined what a typical brain looks like. And so this is anything kind of outside of that is considered neurodivergent. It acknowledges that somebody who thinks this way is not flawed. It's just different. And I think they actually have studies that show that ADHD and even autism are features that have evolved with us as, what do we call the human species? Because it's important to have those types of neurodivergent ways of thinking. Absolutely. And I like to consider it as like a scale. So on a scale of one to 10, let's say at 10, you are maybe less symptomatic, less affected in your day-to-day experience, but you still experience what I would call tendencies, right? And then at a one, you're maybe more affected, less functioning on the day-to-day, experiencing many more symptoms. So I think there's like a range and a scale when it comes to all of these diversities. So just as you said, it's a more inclusive language. It's not assuming that one brain type is better than another or the right brain type. Like thinking about the group as artists, consider all of the colors of paint we can work with. One color paint is not more normal than another color. They're just all different and they all contribute and they all have their place. And so it's very much the same way, right? Like our brains are just different. The quote unquote weakness is also our biggest strength. So if you are prone to distraction, 
because you get distracted by your own ideas. That that could be a problem in some areas of your life, but it's also your greatest strength because those ideas are what allow you to thrive in your creativity. Absolutely. And I think what happens a lot in the incubator is that there could be a tendency to have all or nothing thinking. Mm. So believing that you have to be all this way and it's all negative rather than looking at it as there's a positive side to it too. There's a strength to it too, just as you said. So like our brain may function this way and in some ways it may be a hindrance. And in other ways, it's actually really helpful and part of what makes us creative. Can you share a story as an example without using anybody's name? So on the one hand, it's believing that you need to be that person. This came up around time recently. That person who is like always super punctual, right on time, never late, And so this person, this person was challenged with that, was always running like five minutes behind, habitually couldn't help it. In the case when they're trying to meet up with people, that's challenging, right? Because that's not who they want to be. They don't Mm -hmm. want to be the person always running late. On the flip side, when they're like spending time with someone or working on a piece of art that is really involved, they're able to hyper-focus and lose track of that time and kind of get lost in the project. And it makes that piece like exactly what it is. I mean, there's a term, I was going to bring it up later, but this is a perfect time to bring it up called time blindness. Yeah, And it's a lack of awareness around time, just a general lack of awareness around the passing of time. And it has to do with our executive functions, the part of our brain that like prioritizes and experiences time. So that's an example. On the one hand, you don't want to do that all the time because it can feel disrespectful to other people, right? You get that you want to try to be punctual and show up. And it serves you, that ability to lose track of time can serve you when you're able to really mm. get into the flow of a project and just go with it and let everything come out and not worry about the constraints of time. I love that. Now, the way I remember you describing it, Sean, and and just so everyone knows, I I only attended like one or two of Sean's calls. But one time she was describing and it was brilliant where she shared the type of mind that thinks that way will think of time as now and not now. My son, who would probably fit that description you just made, I had to explain to him, there is a third category of time and it's called too late. I love that. (laughs) Right. So, right. I know you like to think in now and not now, but please remember there is this too late category as well. Yeah. You're like that ship has sailed. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Like you missed the deadline there. It's so true. The typical neurotypical way of thinking of time is very linear. So past, present, future. And you can anticipate how far back in the past something happened. And you can anticipate how much time you have until it comes up in the future. A neurotypical brain can process time that way very easily. When you're neurodiverse, when you have a neurodivergent brain, time is much more circular. And so it's true that that feeling of now or not now it can be not now, not now, not now, not now, not now. And then it's like, oh my, now, it's now. And many times, like you just said, ship has sailed. It's already passed. It's too late. Right. He has to get a, a visa application. And I was like, well, do you know where you can get that photograph taken? And are you, just, you know, don't let it be too late because mom's not bailing you out. Okay. So how does this way of thinking about time lead though to procrastination, if we can be more specific about it? It's important to remember time is like a mental construct. So as humans, we've all agreed there's 24 hours in a day. 
and like a thousand something minutes in a day, right? So we kind of all have a general agreement around that. I think when there are executive function challenges involved, so like the part of our brain that struggles with processing time, sometimes just increasing our awareness around it is helpful. So like keeping a time journal Mm. and writing down like how long you think something will take you and how long it actually takes you. And this is just for like a 24-hour period. And rather than like counting down and giving yourself, say, 10 minutes to do something, start the stopwatch when you actually start something and see how long it actually takes you to do something. Oh, interesting. How many times do us creatives think, oh, I can do that in five minutes? And in reality, it's like 30 or an hour. And the opposite happens to me too. Like I'll put something off and put something off because I think it's such a big deal. And then it ends up only taking me like 10 minutes. It's like, yeah. why, why did I put that off? That was that was not a big deal at all. And you spend so much time like anticipating yeah. how long it's going to take. And like so much time is just like bleeding by as you're kind of spinning around how long it'll take. Do you think the Pomodoro technique is useful for people who think this way? I think for some people it is. It can be helpful. If you truly have a neurodivergent brain, I think what happens is you try a technique like the Pomodoro technique, and then you hold on to the aspects of it that work for you, and then you let go of the ones that don't. Like that is my goal to help people become like more decisive for themselves about what really is helpful and what's not, and not just take a prescription approach like someone said this would be helpful, so it must be. Why is it called the Pomodoro technique? I know you set a timer for like 20 minutes. Time to cook a tomato or an egg or why? Honestly, I don't know that. I've kind of wondered it myself and also never worried about it. But yeah, I just assumed it was named after somebody. Yeah. Or maybe it's because it's like a kitchen timer that looks like a tomato. Is that a thing? Probably. Okay. Anyway, you set a timer for 25 minutes. Giving yourself a set amount of time can be very useful especially with the idea, I don't have time to do this. Well, if you just say, I'm going to spend 25 minutes working on this, it can be very helpful. Yeah. And the way I've seen that kind of translate out specifically is a lot of the time when we have a neurodivergent brain, that's what I'm talking to the artists, right? The creatives, the hurdle can be in just getting started, like you described, imagining that it's going to be so hard. And so if you just commit to, I'm going to set a timer and start, A lot of the time, I like to frame it as if after 10 minutes or 20 minutes, 10 minutes actually feels much more doable sometimes. If after 10 minutes, you're not into it, give yourself permission to stop. Like in the beginning, it's just training your brain to get over the hurdle of starting. Right. It can be helpful in that way. Okay. Nine times out of 10, once you've started, you're fine. You're in the flow. You don't need to stop. You realize it'll be knocked out in no time. I wanted to dive into people pleasing because that is something I don't think I've ever addressed on this podcast. And yet I see that come up so many times with my artist clients. So first of all, can you just define what people pleasing is? Yeah, it's basically showing up in a way that you think you can heavily influence what someone else thinks about you. So it's like doing things oftentimes that you don't want to do for the sheer purpose of either being afraid of what someone might think of you or if you don't do something, fearing what someone might think of you. So you're really basically taking action and living life from a place of worrying about others' thoughts. And what I like to teach is honestly, other people's opinions of you really are none of your business. Like It's a nice space, but everyone's allowed to have their own thoughts. 
And so spending the energy really trying to anticipate what someone else might think is impossible, first of all, because people bring their thoughts, their own perspective, their life experience. So a lot of the time, you're just going to be wrong. Mm -hmm. The other thing with that is, are you actually being authentically you? The person, like, let's say you show up a certain way, the way you think someone wants you to, and they like it. It doesn't feel great anyways if it's not what you would do normally, who you would normally be. The person that they're liking isn't really you when you're people-pleasing. It can lead to feeling resentful. The people-pleasing that used to show up that I I kicked to the curve a long time ago, because you know my kids are 20 and 22, but I just remember being asked to bake things for the class. And then finally, I got smart. Both my kids knew that when they had the sign-up form, they had to pick napkins or plasticware because I kept it in the house and it fit in their backpack. So I, I didn't have to cook anything. I didn't have to make a special trip to the store. And I certainly didn't have to drop anything off at the school. But I know that there's people who will bake and hate it the whole time. And that's kind of what people pleasing shows up as. But more specific, I want to give some specific examples I've seen having these conversations, which you may not have seen inside the incubator, but I speak to a lot of artists. So for example, I spoke to one potential client recently who is in a gallery, very high-end Boston gallery. She's worried about, she actually said what they will think if she sells in venues that are not other high-end galleries because she has an MFA and that's the circle she travels in. And meanwhile, it was really hurting her ability to generate more income from her art because she was trying to please this group of people. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of the time, this elusive they, yeah, it's just like a made-up group of people right. in our mind, right? Like there's not even a specific person. It's just like they very general, might have these thoughts about me doing this. Like, what will they think? Exactly what you said. And so what it does is prevents you from taking action because you're in a place of worrying about what someone else is going to think of you. Yeah. And it's really hard to move anywhere positive from there. I'll give you another example and we can talk this out. Again, I'm not going to use the client's name, but I have a client who had shared with me that she's ready to move on from teaching children. And I thought she was very much at peace with that decision. And then last week, she said that she ran into one of the students she liked, and maybe she should go back to teaching because she likes these students. I'm not sure if she's completely teased out herself, and I'm not going to assume you know, what she's thinking, but it seemed to ring a bit of notes of wanting to people please. For sure. So when you're like worried about like making decisions from a place of what somebody else wants or what everyone else wants, you're really not checking in with what it is you really want. There's like a few things going on. One of the things is you're trying to manage someone else's emotions yes. with your actions, which never works. So she wants to make that family happy. Right. Or she doesn't want to disappoint the family. She doesn't want to disappoint the family. And she thinks by like doing this certain action, she's going to create the feeling of disappointment for them. Well, first of all, what I teach through the model is that's impossible. People feel disappointed because of how they choose to think about something. So it's not actually even possible, I don't believe, for an artist in this case or someone to make someone else feel a certain way. Let's define the model There's a lot of listeners who are not familiar with Brooke Castillo's work and the model. 
So we'll just kind of go through really quickly the five pieces of it. The first part of the model is circumstances. So there's circumstances in the world. They are factual, like as factual as possible. You want to put whatever is happening. And a lot of the time they are out of our control, circumstances. Not always, but most of the time. The next part of the model is our thoughts. So we have thoughts about the circumstances that are happening in the world. And thoughts are sentences in our minds. So it's what we choose to think about the facts, what's happening. Our thoughts then generate a feeling in our body. And we get the feelings down to a one-word vibration that we experience in our body. So it can be you know, joy, happy, disgusted, sad, frustrated, overwhelmed, all feelings. And there's hundreds and hundreds of them. Feelings then drive us to either take action or they drive us to inaction. So they grind us to a halt or they cause us to react, reaction. The final part of the model is our results and our results are the consequences of our actions. What we do, what we don't do, create our results. And so that is the framework that we coached through. It just makes everyday situations very clear, like you're able to see it objectively and decide on purpose how you want to think about things. So let's talk about a specific example. The pandemic, we can all agree, is the circumstance, but some artists were expressing thoughts that they can't sell art during a pandemic. Yes, it's a thought for sure. So the thought is, I can't sell art during the pandemic. It's a common thought, it sounds like, that some artists are feeling. And then the pandemic, you would want to get really factual about it. So you could put some stats about it, right? It's been present in so many countries and you could put the actual number of countries. Like it's been declared an official pandemic. You want to put as many facts about it as possible. And then the thought is, I can't sell art during a pandemic. And when an artist is thinking that thought, it's going to generate a feeling in them. So if we had to take a guess at the feeling, Everyone just kind of imagine, think the thought, I can't sell art during a pandemic. What's the feeling that's created? It's like stress. It's maybe anxiety. It's maybe worry. Because they believe that thought that they're thinking is true. That's what's causing them to have those very anxious feelings because they are experiencing that thought as if it's the fact. Is that right? Yes. And like in addition to that, what often happens is they don't even realize they're thinking the thought. Mm. So they're just like, they go straight from pandemic is happening to fear. And they're like, I'm feeling like anxiety. I'm feeling anxious because the pandemic is happening and they don't notice the thought between the two. And the thought is, I can't sell art during a pandemic. The thought is what's creating the feeling of anxiety or the feeling of fear. Okay, so now let's fill in the rest of the model. So we have the circumstance is we have COVID. We have a thought, I can't sell art because of whatever. I can't sell art at this time. And that feeling makes them stressed out. It's the action comes next, right? Yep. So if they're feeling stressed, let's say the feeling is stressed, the action may be watch the news compulsively. Right. Scroll through social media feeds. Visit the refrigerator like 40 times a day. Procrasta snacking. Yes, right? <laughs> nice term. Procrasta snacking. I have a lot of procrasta something. There's procrasta cooking, procrasta snacking, procrasta cleaning. That's not my favorite, by the way. That's my least favorite. 
Procrastinating is my personal favorite. Yes. Like all the other things, right? They redirect their creativity maybe and become a baker. Mm. And they think it's just because they have this thought they can't sell art, they're feeling stressed. So they're going to channel their creativity now into baking. Like flour was out of grocery stores for a while around here. Like it was really. So many people started baking, Uh, right? I'm not surprised. Sometimes it's like rechanneling. What are they not doing? What is the inaction? So they're not maybe actively creating more pieces. They're not photographing and loading the work they do have complete up to their website. They're not promoting themselves. That's inaction, right? So both go in that line. They're not talking about their work in a way that's like they're excited and proud to share it. No, they're scared to talk about it because they think it's inappropriate. What result do they create for themselves? Yeah. So the result is always going to prove the thought to be true. That is how the model works. So if the thought is, I can't sell art during a pandemic, the result is going to be they don't sell art during a pandemic. Yeah. It's totally a result that can happen, but there are other people, artists, living in a different model during the pandemic, and that's not the result they're creating. They're like selling art like crazy. Yeah. So let's walk us through what that model looks like for the artists who don't have the thought that they can't sell art. So the circumstance is exactly the same. Exactly the same. One example might be there's no better time to sell art because people are at home. I am selling more art on all these different places, Etsy, ImageKind, and my friends, Fine Art America, more than ever before. Like, it's crazy. What has your thought been during the pandemic? The first month, I freaked out just like everybody else in March. (laughs) My thought has been that people are home and they're looking at their walls And people like to shop. It makes them feel good. Yeah. That's number two thought. And number three thought, which I think actually is factual. So I don't know if this is a circumstance. You'll you'll let me know. So there's so much less advertising going on right now because of there's no travel, there's no sports, that Etsy, ImageKind, all these venues are able to get much cheaper advertising for the artists. And we're benefiting from that. I bet you could find statistics around that and put the actual statistics in the circumstance line, Mm. right? Because that would be factual. Yeah. Like, here's the stats. I've pulled them. And your thought about it is no time like the present. They're able to get better results for us artists now because there's less advertising going on. Yeah. That is a thought, but you could totally pull facts, stats, and put it in the circumstance line. Got it. My thought has been that art helps people. Art is a healer. Art is a connector. And people need to see our art. And we're doing our collectors a disservice by not continuing to share our art during this time. Yeah. How does that thought make you feel? Like any one of those thoughts that you shared, how does it make you feel? Well, that makes me feel inspired to continue to create art and share my art. So that's, that is the model that I live with my art. And I also have a very positive model for my art classes. And our brains are wired to continue to look for evidence to prove our models true. So the the model that I've been proving true is that there's no better time also to take an art classes. And I actually think there is evidence that they said that online art classes right now are having a moment. 
on Udemy or whatever the site was like, that was the most popular thing. But my art classes have been doing really well because people are using this time to focus on learning skills. Those are, those are the ones who aren't cooking. Yeah. Or maybe they have time to cook and paint. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> Creativity. They're using painting to procrastinate on something else, maybe. Could be. I love that inspiration was the feeling for you. It's worth kind of mentioning, especially since you have an artist community and artists that listen, inspiration is probably a feeling that is really productive and serves you really well. Because anytime you're feeling inspired, your actions are going to be create more work, share my work. So that might be just worth tucking away. Mm -hmm. Inspired might be a feeling that's really helpful for this community. And so when you feel inspired, you do all these things. And then the result you're creating is you've sold more art during the pandemic, right? Yeah. I also believe, and I'd love to hear your take on it, that we can actually, just like we can choose our thoughts, or maybe this is how it, you'll explain it, but I like to think of feelings as kind of being in my closet that I can choose, deliberately choose a feeling. Like if I want to feel confident, I can deliberately choose that for myself. You can do that. You can practice feeling on purpose. So if there's a feeling that feels less familiar, but you think it might be helpful, you can actually remember back to a time when you experienced that feeling and just really, really remember what it felt like in your body, where you felt it, how it felt, and practice feeling that feeling on purpose. It's like strengthening a muscle. Right? Mm. You can practice it on purpose. So it goes with what you just said. You can choose any feeling that feels like it would be helpful and then practice the skill of like calling it in, thinking a thought when you need it. Okay, so now let's move over to the last thing we promised to talk about. At the beginning, I said that perfectionism is a fancy name for fear. Yes. Let's talk about that. First of all, I love the concept of shooting for B minus work, right? So when you're talking about perfectionism, a lot of the time we hold ourselves to extremely high standards and we're not going to put it out there until it's just perfect, until it's just right. And that may never come. That will cause us to continue to put something off, right? So at some point, just pulling the trigger, like, let me shoot for B minus work and get it out there. And I can always then go back and adjust or tweak if necessary. So that's like one thing when it comes to perfectionism. Hmm. The other piece of it, I think, is just the fear around if it's not perfect, like what's the worst thing you can imagine happening if you put something out there and it's less than perfect, whatever that is, what is it that someone imagines happening? And most of the time people will say, well, people might not like my work. They might tell me they don't like it. They might laugh at me. I might feel embarrassed. But when you really think about it, the worst thing that can happen is a feeling. Mm -hmm. And when we learn how to manage our emotions, it really becomes like a Mm non-issue. Like, yes, someone may laugh. We may feel embarrassed, but we're going to feel embarrassed because what we're thinking about someone laughing, right? It's like, they may laugh and we have the thought, oh my gosh, like this must be awful. And then we feel embarrassed. We feel embarrassed because we're agreeing with them. But someone could laugh and we could also just be curious. Like we could have a thought that's totally different. Like, oh my gosh, like clearly you're not my person. That's fine. It's just a difference of opinion. Yeah. doesn't have to mean anything about you personally. 
I mean, the truth is, is that not everybody is going to like everything we do. And with art, even the greatest art in the world, you think about your favorite artist. Do you really like every single painting that your favorite artist ever painted? Probably not. And even if you do, the truth is you haven't seen their own rejects. You only get to see like what ends up in the museum, not the ones that they painted over, not the ones that they burned not the ones that didn't make it into a museum because it's a lesser collection. So we can't hold ourselves up to such a high standard. What I see, Sean, with many of my artists is that they say they're perfectionists, but really it is they're just so afraid of failing. Yeah, They don't want to risk that failure. So they want to get it all perfect so they won't fail. And that's why I say it's a fancy name for being afraid, fairly a fancy name for being afraid of failure. Yeah. This came up a little bit on the last call and we were talking about just the fear of discomfort, fear Mm -hmm. of failure. Like it's uncomfortable to fail publicly. It can be, right? Like it just doesn't feel great, honestly. Like what if feeling that discomfort were the, they loved the statement, right? What if Feeling the discomfort was the currency to their dream, to achieving yeah. what it was that they want. Like the only way to get there is by embracing discomfort and collecting fails. Honestly, like yeah. at one point, I remember going through a period of time where it was like, fail forward, fail hard, fail fast. Like just be willing to fail. Yeah. Really, it just comes down to knowing that you can be okay feeling uncomfortable. So I recently had on Gretchen Rubin on the podcast and Amy Porterfield on the podcast, and that was a big deal. But what people don't know is that that wasn't the first time I asked them. I asked them more than once and I'm kind of annoying. I just basically make people say no to me. It's like, okay, you said no now. I'll ask you in a few months. So what people see sometimes are the successes, but they don't see always the fails that happened before the person reached their success. And that's why it's so easy to get into that comparison despair. You think everyone else has it all figured out and is getting there so fast and better than you. They look just as messy as you do. You just don't see it. I'm not getting on the podcast and say, guess you rejected me this week. Hey, you know? No, it's so true. It's so true. They don't see like your path to get to there. They just see the final product of like, oh, wow. Right. And you're like, yeah, I was willing to take a bunch of chances and be persistent. And like, it sounds like manage your mind around getting no's. Like, what did you make a no mean? It sounds like you made it mean they just aren't ready yet, but they will be. Yeah. And I just like ask enough people that like the no's kind of become noise. Put yourself out there, put yourself out there, put yourself out there, put yourself out there. Yeah, that's the way it's supposed to happen. All right. We've covered so much today, Sean. Thank you so much for being with me here today. I wanted to make sure people know that they can find you specifically at revealedpath.com. I know you have some very specific resources for our neurodivergent thinkers. They do not have to be artists. And of course, you can work with both of us inside the Artist Incubator Program. And like I said, at the top of the hour, as of June 2020, we currently have two spots to become full members. We are looking for people who are ready to commit themselves to making a living from their art. To apply, go to shulmanart.com forward slash biz. That's B-I-Z. All right, Ishan, do you have any last words for my listeners before we call this episode complete? If you see yourself in that neurodivergent brain category, 
Rather than think something has gone terribly wrong and there's this huge uphill battle, really just pay attention and notice that what you see as maybe a deficit or a struggle has a flip side to the coin and can also be a strength. Stop that compare and despair game and get more into the space of rather than black and white thinking, the middle is okay. Like it can serve you whether you're on one side or the other. Beautiful. Thank you so much for being with me here today. And I'll see you the same time, same place next week. Have a great one. Thank you for listening to the Inspiration Place podcast. Connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash shulmanart, on Instagram at shulmanart, and of course on shulmanart.com.